Well, happy Culture Cast Day, everybody. Oh, I mean, it's such a party. We wanted to play that again. Um, bonsoir. Miami. How do I say friend in, in French? Jocelyne. How, how is, yeah, Jocelyne. Yeah. Jocelyne. French name, yes. Yeah, in French. Uh, bonsoir, my friend. Bonsoir, vous. <laughs> welcome to Culture Cast, everyone. And let's welcome Jocelyne, who is in Paris. Um, a dear, dear friend, I would say, and great thought partner. Can I say that about you? I, I would love to yeah. hear you say that about me every day. I will awesome. just wake up and record it and have awesome. it play back in my ear. Awesome thought partner. We're here to talk about culture. And as I was inviting Jocelyn to come and be a guest on CultureCast, what I thought about was who is the woman behind the woman as I think through the vision for being a culture master and activating hyper growth and turnaround in business through evolving and creating diverse and inclusive cultures. That is the work that I've done with you, Jocelyn. And so mm. I feel like in order to be a culture creator, I think there's a lot of inward work. And I say this all the time when I mentor people, it's about getting right with you, right? And I, I'm not a pro like you, but I think about um, in, in the book that I'm writing, you know, and I think about culture, I always think about honor who you are and where you came from and get really clear about that and clear about your values and who you are, what you stand for and what it is that you want to do. And I think that's the work that hopefully we'll be talking about today, which is a precedent to living and driving culture. So mm. welcome. What do you think of that? I think that was a, a big thought. Let's put it that way. And we could take it apart and spend the whole hour talking about it. And uh, I just want to say, I love working with you, Marisa, you know, and I, I, I like that thought partner, you know, the times, you know, the months that we've been working together has been like a transition for you. And yeah. for me, it's been like watching you take flight. You know, it's like being a midwife. I've, I have I've the experience of I being a it. midwife to what you're birthing. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, I totally agree. But before we jump in and unpack all of that, let's talk about you. You've got like this really cool journey that every time I feel like I know you, I learn a new tidbit. <laughs> so instead of me blabbing it all out, I'd rather you talk about how did you end up like, where did you grow up? How did you end up on this pathway of really coaching and being a thought partner to thousands of leaders around the world? Well, I would say my transformative journey, that's what I would call it, started oh. when I was 11. Okay. And uh, that was the first time I got a glimpse of what I call being unmessable with. And that was my mom. You know, my parents were separated and they were getting divorced for sure. And my mom was sort of the victim in the situation. Yeah. You know, he was kind of the bad guy. He had cheated on her and blah, blah, blah. And, and then she was sort of at the effect of it. And then she did this transformative workshop and she came out of it like a different human being. She was so powerful and so able to create. She was no longer reacting. She was just yeah. creating whatever she wanted to. And, you know, we ended up, we were living in uh, Los Angeles at the time, but I'm from New York. And she said, I'm taking the kids back to New York. And my father said, 
no, you're not. Not unless you get a job and an apartment in the PS6 district and it's got to be under a certain amount per month. She's wow. like, here, take the kids for two months, I mean, two weeks, and I'll be back. So she came back and he's like, well, I hope you got that out of your system. I, I, I don't know why I'm talking like that. That's not how he sounds <laughs> at all. Like You've met him, you know, like that's right. such a weird accent. I'm like, Groucho Marx is now my father. But in any case, um, she came back and he said, I'm glad you got that out of your system. And she goes, yeah, I did. Uh, we're moving at the end of the month. I got the apartment. I love I, it's it. in the PSX district and I got a job and we're going. And he did a double take. And a year later, he did the same transformative workshop and they got back together. Interesting. So 65 years they just celebrated of well, being together. Congratulations, mom and dad. And I'm curious, transformative workshop, what was it? At that time, it was called the EST training, which was in the 70s. And it was like, you know, not around anymore. But I did that when I was 11. And I started to develop myself in what I call the muscle of being someone who can create under any circumstance with anyone at any time, no matter what life is throwing at you. And then fast forward, I was in my very early 20s. And I was in a transformative workshop. And I had had a lifelong dream to be a singer, but I, I realized at five that you couldn't do that. You know, again, with my father, I'm in the car yeah. and he's not painting and I just decide, okay, you can't do your art as your career. In that workshop, I got that could be not true. Like maybe that's not the truth. It's a belief. Right. So it loosened its grip. And within three months I had a record deal and that record went number one. So I became committed and on a mission to empower other people to fulfill their I dream love it. and be unmessable within the process. I love this. I didn't know this about you. You actually went through your training and transformation workshop at 11, yes. you know, following your parents. And no wonder it feels to me that it's just such an innate kind of natural thing that you do, like how you, how you engage, how we have conversations, you know, whether it's professionally or personally, I think it's amazing. And let's not let that slip. So you were a pop singer. <laughs> I was. <laughs> so for anyone who's like, also a few children ago. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever's stalking you right now, tell us what what your group's name was, your band's name was. Yeah. Well, and, it wasn't a band because okay. we didn't play instruments, but it was <laughs> a group. We were the female new kids on the block. That's oh how long God. ago it was. Yes. And our, our number one song was called That's What Love Can Do. And the group was called Boy Crazy with a K. I love anything with a K. Why yes. not boy crazy? So yeah, look it, it was, up, everyone. That's awesome. Trip. There are videos. It's pretty frightening. Okay, Overalls so, with one strap down. Yeah, you know, uh, it was the 90s. Now, were your jeans on backwards too? <laughs> I don't know. I think <laughs> I missed that meeting. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a little crisscross kind of in the 90s as well. Um, so, okay, so you prove to yourself that you can create. And here you were, like, you wanted to be a singer. You became a pop singer, boy crazy band, literally in a band called Boy Crazy and a number one song. Yeah. And then how did you get back on this path to, well, I'll be a corporate guru. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, at the same time as I was pursuing the record career, I was already getting trained to lead seminars. I was leading seminars. I was, you know, very young when I started leading transformative seminars for people, for groups of people. Yeah. And I was leading courses at a company called Landmark Worldwide. Mm -hmm. So I was leading the advanced course, the forum, and I did that for 30 years. Wow. And I helped, you know, design courses and I trained people to lead 
those courses. So that was a big part of my journey. But concurrently to, you know, parallel to that, I started an entertainment company back when I got the record deal right after I left Boy Crazy, I started a management company. So I managed the careers of actors and recording artists to empower them to fulfill their dreams in the entertainment industry. So I was developing myself both as a manager, which is really a coach for somebody's career, and then also working in transformative workshops, leading for hundreds of thousands of people over the years. And I was a spokesperson for Landmark, and I started a nonprofit to work with leaders that were committed to causing sustainable shifts. So I developed a curriculum with a a woman who was a mentor of mine from the United Nations named Dr. Monica Sharma. And we developed a curriculum called the United Global Shift Technology. And we worked with leaders for, oh, I guess, from more than 20 countries to uh, empower them to design their initiatives in a way that caused sustainable results rather than band-aid solutions. Right. I love that. And it's, there's such a thread throughout everything you're talking about. First of all, having your own entertainment management business, and helping to cultivate this young talent and empower them to really go for what it is they're dreaming about from an entertainment career. And then, you know, spanning to the UN and helping other countries and um, governments, organizations create sustainable change. Amazing. Yeah. The the culture of all of it. Yeah is empowering people to fulfill their vision, their dream, their purpose, and developing people's ability to be unmessable with no matter what life throws at you. Because it isn't about having perfect circumstances. God knows I don't have, and you and I know, we have all sorts of circumstances in our life. It's about not being hooked, not having to go down that road of being reactionary or, you know, down for the count or stopped or thwarted. It's about being able to stay in that space of creation, vision, up and out. What action is going to fulfill that yes. vision no matter what? And that's how I coach you. That's how I coach anybody. You know, that's yeah. where my eye is. I love this being unmessable with. I think it's a unique trademark of yours and a statement that you really live by. How, I mean, how did that come up? Was it when you were 11? Like, is that It the was. The okay. sense, the flavor was there for okay. sure. Whatever I saw in my mom, I'm now calling unmessable with. But where I got, got the word from yeah. was from somebody who I introduced to you, one of my mentors, Richard Condon. Yes. About 25 years ago, we were on a call with a bunch of people and he said, oh, you're just messable with, not to me, but to somebody else. Sure. And I said, that's it. That's the word I've been looking for unmessable with. That's yes. the sense that I want for people. And it's possible it's, but it's a muscle, you know? Oh my God. Somebody remem- remembers that song. You must oh, be old like me. My <laughs> God, Nicole. <laughs> That's what love can do. A solid throwback. Look at that. It is it bumped Whitney Houston's. I will always love you was like number one for like a hundred million weeks. We were the next number one. Stop it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's really cool. So you got that from Richard and yes, that was an epic introduction that you made for me. And actually the mini work that we had the chance to do in our conversation was also amazing, which we could also unpack at some point, but that unmessable is just so vivid. So when I, when I hear that, it's kind of like, heck yeah, you can't freaking mess with me. Right. Like no matter what, it's and really, it's not like yeah. tough. It's not like being tough, though. It's no. more like just being able to create no matter what. That's right. 
Yeah, I was thinking about this because um, one thing that I've, I have always stood by and that I've written about in culture change is it's not the stimulus, it's the response, mm, right? Yeah, I mean, no matter totally. what comes at you in life, it's all in how you choose to respond. I think you take it a step further, at least in a, as a reflect in our work together, which is um, having that strong foundation and that base from where you're standing and from where you're reacting and that the choice is really in creation, right? So the choice is, how do I take action on that? And to me, I've always, you know, I, I tag kindness catalyst as well. How do I do it in a way that it is respectful and with dignity for others? And that's hard. I think it's hard. Well, it, it ta- it's not complicated, but it takes muscle. So yes. when you say it's hard, I don't think it's hard for you. I think it's who you are. I don't think you if you did something else, it would be a violation of you at a core as far as from what I know about you, but it takes muscle because there's so much muscle memory to just react. I mean, that's 99% of life is reacting. And, and if you're successful, you're good at reacting because people are throwing breakdowns and fires at you and you're putting them out. So that's a different muscle than creation and all the magic is in the world of creation, not in the world of reaction. So it's kind of like accessing magic again. That's that's what I like to think of I what I do that. with people, you know? Accessing magic. So here you are, this multitasking executive, young female executive, freaking badass, if I think <laughs> about it, right? Pop star, entertainment manager, landmark from the early days, And, you know, you also have been with them for 30 years and then you go off and do your own thing. Like, what's that like? And well, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And yeah, no, I'm really curious because this decades long career and helping them grow, right? Well, they helped me grow too. I mean, I am thankful for every minute I, I spent at Landmark. It was like my life's work. And a lot of why I left has to do with Paris, actually, because after, you know, during the pandemic, I went right as soon as the border opened, I go to Paris every year for multiple times a year. I love it here. And this was a someday dream of mine. Someday I'm going to live in Paris. And I coach people that there's no someday. But for me, that was like a blind spot. I was like, oh, someday. And I I came here and I met a bunch of expats who live here and had all sort of semi-retired here. And, you know, they work both from the States and here and all that. And I realized it was actually very simple to move here. I had thought it was this whole thing and it wasn't, it was very simple. So getting related to the reality of what it would take. Yeah. So I came home and within two days gave my notice. I was like, I am moving to Paris. And I gave them a year's notice. I spent a year turning over everything about my job, everything there was, you know, new manuals for the advanced course and yeah. training my, my replacer, replacer, it's not a word, but whatever, successor. (laughs) And um, I created the context that I was completing my life's work with honor. So the whole year was so, it was really empowering. And then you and I even had a conversation about when you transition from someplace that you've been for a long time, you kind of have to create a new context for your relationships with certain people because- your only reason to be in relationship with them was work, even though you might 
like them and all of that, but I, so I spent time deliberately creating a new context for certain relationships so that I could set myself up powerfully. And then I spent three months doing nothing. I mean, I planned my daughter's wedding. I went yeah, to yeah, France, yeah. But, you know, and I was like, what am I going to do? And I, and it just was so natural to design programs and material and content and coach. And it just, it was so organic. And we met shortly after that. Oh my gosh. So I don't recall you doing nothing, you know, like yeah, so what, does, nothing your, is what not. does your three months of doing nothing actually feel like? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. It looked like planning a wedding and okay. then, uh, going That's... to France for a month and, and thinking about finishing my book, the art of being unmessable with, yeah. but really it just became more natural to design courses and programs and, you know, that's what I do. So yeah. eventually maybe the book, I've written books, but this is sort of like a, a, a bigger kind of concept book. Um, but as you know, friends of ours, you know, reached out to me and were like, are you doing coaching? I was like, sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> just, you know it was like, of course, why not? That's what I do. That's right. And it, and it became, uh, you know, something I love so much. I can't believe how much I love it. I can't believe I, I haven't been doing it always, you know, at least the one-on-one. I've always done, you know, coaching yeah. for people in different contexts, but to have a one-on-one -on -one coaching practice I never thought I would do that. I was like, why would I do that? That's That sounds horrible. I love every minute of it. Well, I think it says a lot about, and I, I have seen this having been a people and human resources professional, when you see just great talent and you see people and the skills that they possess. And sometimes when they are in a pattern for a long time in a specific company, right, or a job, mm -hmm. and then it's at the stories you tell yourself, like, well, I don't know that I can go do that. Or why should I be able to do that? But you are just repackaging, you know, that I think about that the experience that you have built over decades, right? And now it's, it's, you've mastered this. And of course you're coaching people. I mean, to me, it's like the next natural step that yeah. you would be coaching individuals to help empower them to create their own vision. Yeah, completely. It's like, what else would I be doing? I mean, now it just seems like, what else would I be doing? That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about culture. And, you know, I, you and I talked all about, have talked all about like being a culture master, but I'd love to get your definition of, you know, how would you define culture? I think culture is fundamentally constituted in conversations. So it's linguistic by nature. So if you look at any culture and yes. any company that you've been in or any country, I mean, here I am in, in this country and it's a very much a, um, the conversation you dwell in I love constitutes that. the culture that you're in. Same thing in a family, you know, there's a conversation that people dwell in about, you know, what it is to be a woman or what it is to be the oldest or what it is to be a daughter or a son, you know, and that's a cultural conversation that you exist in at the level of family. So you take it out to any level, whether it's company or, or country or world, I mean, the human culture. So I think what's great about that, though, Marisa, is conversations can be transformed. So culture can be transformed. And that's what you're so brilliant at is creating cultures. It's not fixed and rigid like this cup or something. It's, yeah. it's malleable in language. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I love that you use the term. It's, it's rooted in 
conversation. It's rooted in communication and linguistics. You know, I think you and I might have nerded out on a conversation like this on another call (laughs) where I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, I think about linguistics and the language that people even use with each other, right? It creates um, norms with how we communicate, how we work together, et cetera. And if I think about various companies where, you know, it's one thing to come into a company where it's brand new and it's startup. And it's been a while since I've done that, although I'm doing that now, helping very new companies trying to find their way and identify their purpose and their values, et cetera. But it's another thing to come in where there's a pretty set culture. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking out loud and you're right. I think about the language and how people talk about what we do and this is how things are. And you know, I'm sure you've experienced this. You walk into a company and it's like, can I get a dictionary? Because I don't understand what it is y'all are saying, right? What does that acronym mean? Or what's that terminology? And so- I mean, just um, look at, I mean, I walk into Starbucks. It's a completely different language. I'm like the venti and the trenti and the, I mean, that is a culture and they have created a coffee culture that didn't exist. I agree. I remember pre when I was a customer before I even had the chance to work there, I was a little intimidated walking to a Starbucks because the way that the barista would ask for your order, like I'd kind of be meandering around the, the menu going, okay, I want a right. medium. They're like, oh, you mean tall, right? And I want to, you know, whatever it was I was ordering, they would actually reorder it um, in a way where I'm like, oh, so there's a way you order cert- your drinks at Starbucks. And actually, I'll fast forward that as I think about culture systems, you know, until I went behind the scenes, right? I'm like, wow, I need to go in here and go, I need a tall, uh, non-fat milk frappuccino, right? Like you, you call the milk, you call the size, you call the milk, you call the drink that you want. And what I learned was later on, the way that point of sale was set up, is that that's how they're putting the order in, into the the point of sale. Yeah. And so I'm nerding with you right now. And I think about Starbucks as an example for a customer, that's a culture in and of its own. And I remember being super intimidated, you know, when I first walked into a Starbucks, because I felt like every time I would order something, I was either not ready. I don't know if you're familiar with Seinfeld, where the soup Nazi, you know, where yes, you have to go course. in and you stand a certain way, you order your deal. No you soup hand your for money. you. Yeah. No soup <laughs> for you if you don't order it correctly. And I'm like, Oh, next time I'll get it right. You know, like the way you're ordering it. And what I realized at the end of it all, I'm like, wow, the point of sale at the time, at least when I was there was still kind of green screen. And that is how they were punching in orders. It was easier if you started with how big it was you know, what the, the size was and all of that. So anyway, well, going they back had to, to train yeah. people. I mean, literally they had to train customers to speak their language, which then created yeah. a shared culture. I love So that. you were either intimidated or you were like rebellious like me. I'm like a large coffee, you know? <laughs> right? figure it out. You know? <laughs> right. No. And I think that was probably me, but then over time I'm kind of went, Oh, I went in there and I knew how to order my drink, especially if I was at that time, like in Texas, driving through a drive-thru on the way to the office, you know, and what I loved about that culture, as you talk about, um, they were so friendly, even over the speaker box, Mm -hmm. they knew my order and they would just say, where have you been? You haven't been around for the last couple of weeks. 
So going back to, I love that as an example of culture and how language shapes culture and how um, inside that language is a system, right? And how I think people have to snap to some kind of order or system to do that. And there's an architect behind the scenes doing that. So interesting. And and if you look at, you know, given you're a master at creating culture, when you advise companies or CEOs or founders, where do you start? I mean, it's got to be something to do with the language and that accesses the culture. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think um, if I just think broadly across the different brands um, where I've had the chance to help evolve and shape culture, it's really looking at all the artifacts, looking at all the language, the history of the company and how we reference the company, how we reference each other, how we do things, et cetera. It is really looking all... I look through all the artifacts with the leaders, right? And so it's interesting having a conversation about that and what's germane or what's true to the heritage of these companies. You know, what do we want to preserve that's really true to who we are and and why we are, you know? And And values and and your mission. And sometimes that language has to be thrown out and updated or tweaked because it's not consistent with the actual walking the talk. That's right. And I think you're right. I think it, it goes from that conversation. And I think the step before that I've experienced, so I'm giving everyone my secrets right now, is really, it turns into a conversation, if you think about the leaders, like literally the CEO and her or yeah. his direct reports, like it turns into a conversation about what we expect from each other and how we work together. Right. How are we going to do this? And typically I've walked into organizations where it's do or die, grow or die. Right. And so how are we going to do this together? And then I think that evolves into a conversation of, all right, our language, our imprint, our feeling to attaching it to what this company is all about. So to your point, how do we walk our talk, but also stay true to this value or these this purpose and mission for the company so i think it it starts there but you are absolutely right i think unless you know you give the organization a framework Mm -hmm. from which they can reference right and then they can also see themselves in you're right i think it's it's so huge in terms of language and um i see that this is such a good comment that kristen's making the conversations you care and the words you choose are powerful. I love that. Wow, yeah. Kristen. Very, um, cool. very cool. And so when you think about language um, and if you think about your own journey of culture, mm-hmm. what, what were the major influencing events for you that shaped culture for you throughout your journey? Well, I would say definitely being someone who for 45 years has participated in a transformative language. I mean, the language of transformation is very distinct from the language of change, you know, like things like, well, let's do this better or let's do more of this or let's do it different. I don't really engage in that kind of language so much. It's all from creation, from declaring from using your word to create, not describe. And that is a different use of language. You know, you could use your words to describe this cup or 
this microphone. But there's a different use of language, which is to create commitments, create accountabilities. If you look at any job, you know, a job description mm -hmm. is completely created in language. So it's like you are crafting, you are authoring what this accountability that you are now being paid for is. And what are the metrics and what are the, you know, who are you going to communicate directly to and all of that. It's all this whole conversation. And there are so many times when I work with founders, especially that the culture of their company is not what they want. Like I, I, this culture is just, they're not being accountable. They're mm -hmm. not. And I'm like, well, where do you think that's coming from? Cause you haven't created yes. a culture of accountability and that's it's right. Take, it takes intervening in the predictable sort of flow of how things go. Cause cultures, if they're not created, they get created by default. That's right. Uh, I agree with you. I think um, that's when people, and I think they get created by default and, you know, I don't want to go off on this tangent, but I think there's this evolution now or this revolution that is happening in corporate culture today where I think the thinking of newer team members coming into the organization, you know, they really are very careful about the culture they're walking into and how it's created at the top. So to your point, and sometimes people walk in and they go, wow, this culture needs a lot of help. And maybe the experience could be the leaders at the top weren't proactive in creating, right. you know, the, this accountability and expectation around certain things. And so, um, which I, I agree with you, and I think leaders have to define and declare, all right, well, what is it that I want, you know, to happen in this company? And how do I build that into the language of the, you know, the purpose, the, the vision, and our values? But I think the revolution that's happening, which, you know, the space that I love playing in is how do you also give agency to everyone in the organization yes. that they have a place in putting their fingerprints and a voice. Yeah. Yeah. And a voice, right. In shaping this culture. Well, you and I've had similar yeah. conversations to this, but you know, I think it's so critical for anybody, forget about if you work at a company, you don't work at a company to be connected to your vision, your dream, your calling, your purpose, your raison d'etre. If you're not connected to that, then you're just doing stuff. That's right. You know, and whatever, to get a paycheck, to increase your stock price, to whatever. But that's not really what people's vision is. You know, yeah, maybe you want to increase your stock price, but why? Like, what is it that a higher stock price is going to make available other than money? Yeah. You know, what is that going to provide in the community, in the world, in your life, and, you know, for your family, whatever, that's where right. your vision is? So a lot of what gets lost is people just sort of dealing with whatever the default culture is, whatever the, you know, default accountabilities are, default values, default yeah. dreams. Cause so many people inherit goals and dreams and they don't even author them themselves. So I think what you're saying about, you know, being connected as the leader, you know, goes the same for the team. Absolutely. And, and the employees, if you're if your employees are connected to what's important to them, you can 
reduce burnout, increase retention. I mean, these increase productivity, satisfaction. These are, you know, proven. There's enough studies now yes. that show if you are creating a culture of purpose, a purpose-driven culture, and that's, you know, the work that I do with companies, but also individuals, because it's the same thing in your marriage. That's it's right. not just at, at the office. I agree. And actually, I would love to jump into this, how we started this conversation around, you know, there's this foundational work that as an individual, I know I needed to do. And as I coach others as well, that they need to do is just to get right with themselves, right? And whatever that getting right is, and getting real clarity around, all right, well, who are you? And what is it that you believe in? And um, you know, I'll say specifically, what is your calling yeah. and what is your mission in life? It's not only about today, but what is my purpose? And so I think you do that brilliantly. Um, and then of having met a couple of your mentors, no wonder why, right? It's amazing. But I'd love for you to talk more about that since I know there are people who are listening to this, watching this, who are just like, all right, well, I'm curious about what it's like to work with a coach because they've worked in organizations where it's like, Hey, let me assign, you know, a, a coach for your development, which is different than I think, okay, you know, I sought you out. Right. Yes. And it's kind of yeah. like, I'm in this transition space and I, you know, I need a thought partner. I need help. But then I'd love for you to talk about that work, what that is before you can think you can go off and create. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think for some people, they have incomplete items from the past. So especially if you've had a, a, a successful, not successful career, whatever, you've had a career, you've had a relationship, you've had anything in the past that isn't resolved and complete will carry through to the future. So you'll be bringing that to your next job. You'll be bringing that to your next chapter, your next relationship. Yeah. So the, the basic first step is to get complete with whatever's happened so that you have a clean space to create from because creation requires a condition that allows for creation. And, you know, if you're a painter, you know, you need a blank canvas. And mostly there's a lot of stuff filling up the space. Yeah. So the first thing I do and ongoingly do with people is get complete whatever's in the space. Oh, what's in the space? Okay, let's dismantle that. Yeah. So I call that unearthing what messes with people, dismantling it, Really disappearing it is the ultimate end game, but yeah. dismantling it enough so that it no longer has a hold on you, them, yes. yep. and then creating and really pre-creating a space you're going to come from in the next interaction. Like if you're going to, you know, go into a conference and you're speaking at a conference, I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about anybody yeah. speaking at a conference, you're going to create a space you're going to come from because you know that typically in those situations you get hooked and people say things or you get nervous or you're self-conscious or you have, you know, some sort of limiting belief about yourself or whatever it is. So we do the work to pre-create something so you don't have to be scrambling in the actual heat of the moment. Yeah. I love that. And actually, I love that you said it is about when you're moving on to next, that what you're moving from, and I love the metaphor of a blank canvas, right? Like come complete with that. And yeah. I, I like unearthing those things and actually disappearing those things. I love that you said that too, that, that 
so that you are unmessable, right? So yeah. I, I love that, right? So it's like, whatever story you're telling yourself, now this is me talking to me, about right. whatever situation, you know, it is just like, all right, finish that thought, park it and just come complete with it, right? Perfect. And, yeah. you know, for me, it's all about, okay, what did I learn from it? How did it become valuable to me? It happened for me in terms of the learning and the experience, et cetera. And then just, you know, then letting it go. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? First of all, it happened in the past. It is yeah. not currently happening. What are you going to do? You can't go back in the past. You're not Superman flying around the planet backwards. That's you right. can't change it. So it's like you're either going to, and I don't mean like accept it. No, you're either going to create, yeah, I did that or I didn't do that or that yeah. happened or that didn't happen. Now what? Now what? Exactly. What is your vision? And a lot of people, when I first start working with them, their vision is obscured because they're so busy dealing with stuff, oh, like looking uh, yeah. down and in versus up and out. So it's like, okay, what's your vision? What's your intention for that meeting? What's your intention for that interview? What's your intention for that, you know, that website that you're designing, whatever it is. So let's make sure that your actions are going to fulfill on that. And your language is going to yes. fulfill on what you're creating. And that's really the game. It's like, and it's not like it's ever handled. There's no top to this mountain because there's always the next thing that's going to mess right. with you, you know? So it's like, okay, let's take that now. But if you brush your teeth every day, you know, it's, it's, this is a bad analogy. Now I can feel it falling apart, but something <laughs> oh, no. like if you, if you don't brush your teeth every day, then it's harder to get the plaque off than if you brush your teeth every day, when there's a little plaque that comes off, that was, I probably won't ever use that analogy again, but. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I think it is, it's that pathway to mastery. You mm -hmm. know, even using that word master doesn't mean that it's an end all be all know it all. It's actually the recognition or acknowledgement that there is deep experience, you know, in whatever the skill is, right? Whatever the, yeah, the specific skill is like, I, is there a technical definition out there? 25,000 hours? Master, I think it's 10,000. I've heard, 10, what I've heard okay. the most 10,000 hours to consider yourself a master. However, yeah. in my experience, because I've dealt a lot with this yeah. whole world of mastery, anybody who is a master, if you ask them, so do you know everything about the violin yes. or do you know everything? They will say, absolutely not. Absolutely I know less not. now than I did when I started. Yeah, because it is a mountain with no top. And the That's right. joy of it is the discovery. I love that. And it is the joy of it. And I think about in the context of an ever dynamic changing environment, you know, in this world. And now AI is a new hot conversation with everyone that I've had. It's like, oh, how am I going to work with AI? It's like, get in there, right? Like, yes. get in there and figure it out and what it means to you. And how are you going to like roll with it, right? Totally. Uh, if, if you that's a game you want to play i mean you know it's like it is sort of becoming the culture if we want to talk about culture so it's like you're either going to get on the train or or get left behind to some degree but uh you know i think you have people have so much power that they don't tap into and i really want people to have that unleashed for them not like power like Ugh, but like power to say something and have it happen yes i love that of course it is about, and it's finding that, right? It's like being able to, and I love this every time I have a conversation with you and we talk about, all right, what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's always around what intention 
am I setting? Like when I go and do this thing, you know, this event, whatever engagement that I had and, you know, what intention am I, am I creating and what am I creating with that yeah, group? That's what am thing. I, yeah. What am I leaving with them? You know, and it's amazing when you put your mind to that, it actually happens. Isn't it? Well, you know, I, I have a tattoo. I have a couple of tattoos, but my main tattoo that my, both my daughters have is abracadabra. Okay? Oh, magic. Which means in ancient Aramaic or ancient Hebrew, with my word, I create. That's what it means. So magic is all available. You can use your word as your wand. I love that. Abracadabra. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. Yeah. Most people don't. They think it's some sort of like, oh, it's a magician thing. Yeah, it is a magician thing. Like intimacy in my marriage and it happens. Patience with my mother and it happens. Yeah. Double my business and it happens. I mean, I work with, I, I'm working with somebody right now. Her goal with me for the first three months was going to triple or for the first year was going to be to triple her business. In three months, she quadrupled her business. You know, Amazing. it's like, because she's coachable and she's, you know, she does the actions without the actions. None of it's not woo woo. It's not like I'm yeah. just going to be a brain surgeon and then you don't do anything. Don't come near my brain. But, you know, it's logical. You say it, you create it in word, you take the actions you'll have the results. That's how that goes. Yeah. It is a way of manifesting, right? What you want in life. Totally. Um, Have you worked with everyone who's ever been referred to you? Like, how do you choose who to work with? Um, It depends on what they're up to. Like if somebody is dealing with heavy, heavy well-being stuff, I I think it's better if they work with a therapist or something like that. That's just not my thing. I work with healthy, successful people who are up to something, but they experience being limited or constrained or not moving as fast as they want to or dealing in a transition or, you know, and, and my clients... First of all, I love I love my people. You know, they're like my people, like you. You know, like you're my people. That's it. You know, like if I would have if I won't have dinner with somebody, I don't want to work with them. That's I how love I that rule. No, that's yeah. such a good rule. Actually, that's a good a piece of advice that a um, a friend gave me when I was interviewing for board positions, mm. and he said, "Hey, make sure a you know that you love what that company's all about, and then b that." not only what they're all about, but it's aligned with your values, but then see, do you want to have dinner with these people? Yes, exactly. You know, like, are you going to be able to enjoy sitting with them for hours, not only in a board meeting, but going out and having a meal together? Yeah. And that's kind of my, my test, you know, it's like, it's the coffee or champagne test, you know, it's like, am I going to have coffee with this person or like us a glass of champagne together, you know, and can I, can I, do I want them to win? Yeah, because I have to be all in for people. And if I'm not, it's an inauthentic relationship. It's not going to work. So I have to really give a hoot about their winning at what they want. That is so good to know as people think about, I want to work with a coach. And I think it's this, it has to be this relationship where, yeah, that person's on your team and they, you know, they believe as well, like what you see. I mean, I think I felt that way, you know, I'll, I'll be candid. And I think I've shared this with some folks who I know are on this call when I was interviewing different people, I'm like, Oh, who I want to work with. And then of course, um, friends of ours recommended me to you. 
And I mean, I think in our first 10 minutes, you were like calling out all the stuff that I was yes. trying to come complete with in the language that I use. I'm like now yeah. recalling everything that we just talked about in this conversation. Yeah, it all comes yeah. together, right? In the language that I was using, the pattern of language where I'm like, wow, we're 10 minutes into this call and she is on to me, like in a crazy way. Yeah, Amazing. That we started, we hit the ground running. I mean, we definitely did, you and I. Yeah, pretty amazing. Um, well, I think about, I always ask people for advice. So when they leave this conversation, if it's about how do they go forth and create, right? What is the one piece of advice that you can give people who are listening on this call, how they can go forth and create? I can give you, let me give you like the most straightforward, less complex, right? Okay. Use promising as a tool to create. Because if you think about it, a promise is a creative speech act. When you promise something, it, yeah. it creates something that didn't exist before. If I promise I'm going to meet you in Paris yeah. for lunch, now there's a future that wasn't going to happen anyway. So promising in itself inherently is a creative act. And I recommend, and I live by this, I mean, I have promises that I have had for 25 years Oh wow! that I true myself up to. I promise to never make anything or anyone wrong, including myself. That promise has altered the space, the culture of my life, the culture of my business. Yeah. You know, I promise to develop people's ability to be unmessable with. I mean, that's like my guiding star, yeah. you know? I don't fight with my husband. We've had five fights in 30 years. And I have a, I just don't do that. That's not who I am because I said so my word, abracadabra. Yes. So I would start with like small promises, you know, maybe I'm going to make five people smile today, something that's going to intervene in the predictable day. Just start using your promises and see what happens. I have a whole, I have a free promise game on my website where people can do it for five days and test it out, but you don't even need to do that game. Just do it yourself. Right. I love that. That is super easy. Make promises and actually start small and, yeah. you know, in a predictable way. And I love that. Promise yeah. to make five I people smile today. Yeah, that's so simple. Or I promise to have my husband feel appreciated today. Or I, you know, like you could promise to acknowledge your, somebody in your life for the difference they made for you. I mean, you could create killer promises that create yeah. a space that you want. You want the space of appreciation? Create it. Yeah. You, Base of joy, create it. I love this. And this word that you use over and over again, too, is create and creation. And, you know, I'd love for you, again, uh, there's the promising part. How can people remain in that space? And I know it takes more than just one piece of advice. Yes. But like to think about what does it mean to be in the space of creation? Yeah. Well, first, you've got to notice when you get messable with. Most people are unconscious to it. So the yeah. first thing I would recommend and I coach people in is to notice, okay, what are the red flags to tell you you're now reacting? Yeah. Uh, does your chest get tight? Does your neck get red? Do you start overthinking things? Like what's the actual manifestation of being messable with or being in the world of reaction? Because then you can catch those sort of signs before you go too far down the yeah. road. So you could do it like, what are the triggering events? Like, I know when I'm with my mother-in-law, it's going to yeah. be a situation. So you go on the hunt for those kind of messable with moments. But I would find the red flag so that when you see it, you can shift. 
to what you've pre-created. So I'm, you know, I'm going to come from a space of patience or, you know, appreciation or joy or, you know, loving or whatever you create. It doesn't really matter what you create. It's that you created it that has the power. I love that. And it's identifying what those triggers are ahead of time yeah. and then committing to, all right, what am I going to create or how am I going to choose to react to that situation? Because it's already something that I've made a promise to do. Now I'm thinking about that, like I'm going to promise and I do this all the time, you know, with my family, like, and you know, this, I know you do it with me. Yeah. (laughs) When I spend time with my parents specifically, and I know there's certain promises that I make when I know I'm going to be hanging with my mom, right. Coming from a place of love, you know, and I think about that just and appreciation for her because, you know, that's, she's raised me. And so, but you could build a case for a whole other reality. It's all the lens that you're looking at life or a person or yourself through. So the lens is like the context and the context is decisive because if I say, what is this thing I'm showing you in the context body part, you're going to say what? finger, right? Yeah. But if I say, what is it in the context number? It's a one. Nothing in reality altered. What altered was the context which lives in language. I love that. You know, I was sharing this with a, um, uh, a friend of mine. I was mentoring someone yesterday and we were talking about uh, a situation that he, you know, that, that he didn't expect. Right. I don't want to get into his whole story. Sure. But then, you know, and we were talking about conflict and context. Mm-hmm. And then he used the word contrast, where he's like, oh, that person just brought a different contrast in how I would look at it. And so I think when he thought about it in that way, he goes, that's not conflict. That's just contrast. And it brings out a different color totally. that I probably would have brought up. And so when you said that context, it could be the same object, but it just depends on how people experience it. Right. The lens gives you the experience. So I have a lens for my grandmother that she's mean and she says, you never call me. That's going (laughs) to be like, see, she's so mean. But if I have a lens for my grandmother that everything she says means she loves me and she says, you never call me. I hear that as you're right. I haven't called you in a really long time. Are you okay? Like, cause she loves me, wants to hear from me. That's right. That's so good. Now I'm like, it's language, it's lens. It's context. There's so much to take away. Um, I do want to get into some pop culture, though, since you are sitting in Paris. Yes, I know. I think I'm, I'm afraid of what you're going to ask me because I'm so not developed in this area. You what? are a true master. You, I mean, no, you are the master. So I think about, I always ask people this question, you know, and I love pop culture, anything culture. And I love to hear what people around the world are into these days. So I'm sure you will tell me because I'm not living in Paris. So like, what are you and your husband, Michael, doing these days? Like, what's your favorite thing to go do, see, eat, wear? Well, I mean, whatever. Now you got, forget it. I'm, that's a world that I do partake in. So we are big foodies. We love all things food in France, but everything tastes better here. So we have an outdoor market right across the street from our house, which is the biggest outdoor market in Paris. And we shop there for everything. So we have, you know, he's cooking for me in the other room right now. I'm going to be having dinner after this. And uh, I just started hot yoga. 
about two oh. months ago. So this is my new sort of, I'm a little addicted, I have to say. That's a whole culture. Forget it with the language yeah. and the yoga. And it's in French. So you can imagine this is like a double thing that I'm learning. But, uh, you know, the the lifestyle here is why I moved here because I have my mornings until two or three o'clock. My clients don't wake up mostly yeah. until then. So I'm out exercising. We're shopping for food. We walk. We, you know, it's like a different kind of life than when I'm in New York where I spend half my time, which is I wake up, I start working, I'm on the phone, back to back to back to back until it's too late to really want to do anything because you're yeah. exhausted by the end of the day, right? So yeah, I'm really into lifestyle now and I'm coaching from that perspective too, making sure that people have time to recharge and do things that nurture their soul. I am brought it into my coaching um, in a big way because it's made such a difference for me. That's amazing. See, I think about what are you doing these days? You are actually experiencing all that Paris is and actually creating this amazing lifestyle. And I hadn't thought of that until you said it, like that have the chance to spend time for you and your family in the way you want to up until when it's time for you to turn it on and go to work. Uh, because your clients are all in a different time zone. They're sleeping. But, you know, for most of my day, there's, I have like two days every day, but it's great because I'm fine yeah. with working till 10 o'clock at night. That's no problem for me. But now I have like this, this parallel pathway to nurture my soul. Coaching people nurtures my soul. Creating content nurtures my soul. But walking nurtures my soul yeah. and now doing yoga and listening to music and sitting at a cafe and having a cafe creme and, you know, it's, yeah, it's think, really fulfilling. I think it is fulfilling. And I think it, it goes side by side with in coaching, right. And in creation, part of it is, yeah, come complete with what, what you're transitioning from. But then there's this whole point around taking care of yourself right? And nurturing yourself take and that before you can take care of others as well. Yeah. And I think that's the first thing that goes from every single person that I've worked with, although more women than men, the first thing that goes is their well-being. They stop tending to it because they're, you know, busy getting stuff done and especially yeah. women executives. It's like having it all doesn't mean doing it all. And people confuse those two things. So I do a lot of work with people to separate those two worlds so that they can see that delegating and empowering other people and building a team is critical yeah. when you want to be somebody who has it all because you can't do it all. Very true point. Yeah. And I love that you, you pointed that out. Having it all doesn't mean you're doing it all. And I think it is about creating a time and a space to um, set intention on what it is you want to do and then go and accomplish it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap us up with this final word, which is abracadabra. Your word oh is your wand. Oh, my goodness. Your yeah. word is your wand, everyone. Same. I thought you were going to ask me about fashion. That's what I was afraid of. I was like, uh, because <laughs> you're well, so no, fashionable. Like, well, I was just going to ask you, what are you loving these days? You know, yeah, I, oh, I wait, kind of broadened it. Yeah. yeah, and although, I mean, I think we just have a couple minutes. Here's what I love about you, too. I think, remember when the last time Michael and I, my husband and I went to Paris, you're like, oh, here's all these restaurants. Yes. Right. And I think you gave me like this three or four page, just high level recommendations on where to eat, what to do, et cetera. I mean, you are dialed in. And the fact that 
because we got food poisoning, we had to reschedule like this Michelin starred restaurant for lunch. And it so ended up that we ended up dining there on a day that you were there with your family. Like we sat down with our family. That was bizarre. And, yeah, it was crazy. Like not even 10 minutes later, you come walking in. Abracadabra. Yeah. Uh, abracadabra. And I think one thing too, before we, since we have a couple more minutes that I love too, is this whole thing about when you put the words out there, I talk about the universe, right? The universe has a way of listening mm. and things end up coming back to you in the way well, that energy. you are. Yes. I mean, words are energy and you say a word, it has an impact in life, in the world. That's right. We will end with that. Words make impact and words have energy. So abracadabra. And thank you so much, thank Jocelyn. Thank you so much. I love you yeah. and I love talking to you. I love you. Anytime. Oh my goodness. Yes. Thank you for joining us. And thank you everyone for joining our culture cast. Oh, how can people get a hold of you, Jocelyn? They can go to my website, which okay. is theartofbeingunmessablewith.com. I love it. The art of being unmessable with.com. I know you can also stalk her on LinkedIn. That's pretty easy. <laughs> I think I see you on Instagram as well. Yes. Facebook, Instagram. I know Facebook is not the hip place, but I like Facebook too. But yeah, Insta, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the things. I, I love it. And I hope for those of you who want to join us next week with our next culture cast, we will be meeting up with Brenda Sue, who is a writer. She's written on hit shows like um, How I Met Your Mother, and most recently has written this Disney Pixar film that's out right now called um, Elemental. And so Brenda Sue will be with us next Thursday, July 20th at 11 a.m. Pacific. So come find us, everyone. And Jocelyn will say au revoir. And we'll say au revoir to everybody else. All right. Ciao, everybody. Good night. Bye.